Welcome to the Jason Tim Podcast. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your Wednesday to come hang out and talk some basketball with me. It's going to be a busy end of the week uh, for this podcast. I did one uh, on Monday with Alan Romich. A lot of you guys follow him. Um, and we talked about a lot of stuff centering around LeBron's injury and the trade deadline. I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into some of that stuff. But if you want to find that podcast, it's under the Lakers side chats. Um, but go to Alan Robinch's uh, Twitter page and you can find it there. Uh, obviously, I'm doing this one today. Um, uh, we're going to do kind of a mailbag thing and I have a couple smaller topics that I want to touch on. Tomorrow, immediately after the deadline, Tommy, you guys know him. He's been on my show several times. Him and I are going to go live just to do immediate reactions to the trade deadline. And then as is usually the case on Friday morning with Raj, uh, we'll do a Lakers-focused one uh, with him as well. Uh, but just stay tuned for those. So one each of the next three days. Uh, like I said, today I, I have sent out a tweet, and that's where I got most of these questions from. Uh, but for any of you guys that are listening, if you want to drop more questions in the comments, if we have time at the end, I'll get to those uh, before we go. I also think I found a solution for my Wi-Fi problems. Um, fortunately... Verizon has very good service where I live now, and so I'm hotspotting off my phone. And it appears to be working for right now. It worked really well with Alan the other day. I appreciate uh, you guys bearing with me through that. Gigantic pain in the ass. And I understand how frustrating it must have been for those of you who did listen to, uh, uh, to constantly see the cutouts, especially on my end. But just know how much I appreciate you guys uh, being patient with me for what I think is a good solution right now. Um, anyway, so I'm going to start with one of our questions from the mailbag because it frames something that I've been wanting to talk about a lot today. This question is from John, and it was, in your opinion, what realistic roster moves should the Lakers make, if any? And before I answer that question, I want to talk really quick about the predicament that the Lakers are in, which is basically that they're going to get their ass kicked a whole lot over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, if you look at their schedule, there are a handful of games in there. There's one with Orlando. There's one with Cleveland. There's one with Toronto, who may, is after the deadline, who they may or may not ship off some of their best players. Uh, and then I think there's one more on there that like looks legitimately winnable. I think it's against the Sacramento Kings. Uh, but the reality is, is they're going to take a lot of losses here uh, over the next couple of weeks. And it's extremely likely that they fall at least to sixth in the standings if not lower, if Dallas gets going. I'm not super worried about the San Antonio Spurs. I've, they have a ridiculous schedule down the stretch. They're extremely likely to, to be behind the Lakers still. But I think the Lakers could slip as far as seventh uh, and possibly worse depending on how long LeBron and AD are out. But I think that's okay. I think it's important to just acknowledge your circumstance and probably get, uh, uh, and, and probably get some, uh, uh, some sort of long-term strategy in place mainly centered around how do we win lower in the standings and it's it's not that big of a deal when you acknowledge the fact that the west is freaking stacked like if you look at the top eight teams the only team in there that's going to be an easy first round opponent is san antonio and if you look at san antonio's schedule it's more likely than not that they're going to slip out of the top eight and it's probably going to be golden state in my opinion that climbs up in there, provided Steph's tailbone isn't gone for too long. 
but because of San Antonio's ridiculous schedule, even your top two seeds are going to get Dallas or Golden State. So congrats. You get seven games of Luka Doncic or seven games of Steph Curry, who's a really, 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 really good playoff player who causes all sorts of problems in a playoff series. And they've been cutting his minutes and Draymond's minutes for most of the year. And those two guys are going to be playing all sorts of minutes in the playoffs. So there is no easy path. So as I said with Allen on Monday, just acknowledge it for what it is. You were hoping for the two seed or you were hoping for the one seed. That would have been great. But the way things broke out, it's probably not going to happen. But at the end of the day, the way you win the championship is you have the best team. You're going to have some complicated path along the way now, but it was always going to be complicated. Now, instead of getting Dallas in the first round, and the Clippers in the second round, and the Suns or Jazz in the third round, or the Suns and Jazz in the second round, and the Clippers in the third round. Now you're going to get, you know, I don't know, Portland in the first round, or you might get, you know, you might actually play Phoenix or Utah in the first round, but you were going to have to beat them anyway. You were going to have to beat the Clippers anyway. No matter what, because of how good the top of the West was, you were going to have a tough path to get out of the West. And now it's reorganized. And as I said with Allen, the key there is, is if you catch yourself against a team that you're clearly superior then, you know, it's going to be a dogfight against the Clippers. It may go six or seven games, but you're better than Utah. You're better than Phoenix. Those are the teams you got to try to knock out in four or five games so that you can get that three, four, five day rest in between playoff series to make sure that you don't experience the long-term wear and tear. But really, unless you're in the Eastern Conference where those, you know, five, six, seven, eight seeds are pretty weak. You're just you're going to have a ridiculously difficult playoff path. It's just the it's just the nature of the way the league is right now with how much talent there is. And home court advantage doesn't mean as much as it used to because they're not going to be 20,000 fans at these playoff games. There's going to be like 5,000 fans at these playoff games. My guess is you'll have vaccinated fan sections that are closer to the court and it'll still have somewhat of an intense vibe, but it's not going to be the same as it usually is. And Laker fans always travel extremely well anyway to begin with. Uh, but I just so going back to the question, in your opinion, what realistic roster moves should the Lakers make? The Lakers make no moves that the Lakers make, whether it's at the buyout market or at the trade deadline, should be centered around anything other than what the team will look like when LeBron and AD are playing. Because as I just said, you just need to own the reality of your seating situation and understand that all that matters is that we have enough horses to get through these teams in a different order than we would have gone through them if we were the two seed. And so from that standpoint, I just hope they don't do anything stupid, like do some change of identity type of trade or bring in some, you know, like, like this is why I hate the Bogdanovich trade, the one that, uh, that people have talked about with the Atlanta Hawks. doesn't make any sense to me to bring a guy in who, when LeBron and AD are back, isn't going to have that much of a purpose because Dennis Schroeder is going to have the ball a lot and LeBron's going to have the ball a lot. Anthony Davis is going to have the ball a lot. And you don't really need a guy like Bogdanovich who can run a lot of actions and do a lot of stuff with the ball in his hands. At that point, it's actually better for those minutes to go to a KCP who's going to be a much better defensive player than Bogdanovich is and is going to succeed in his very, very small role, which is catching and shooting threes and attacking closeouts and things along those lines. So the answer to that question is, There's absolutely no reason to do anything that has anything to do with this next couple week stretch. The Lakers are going to suck no matter what. I'm sorry, even if they bring Bogdanovich in, it's probably not going to change the fact that they're dropping to the six or seven seed. That's the reality of their situation. It's just time to own it and, and own the difficult playoff path.
All right. Before I get to the rest of the mailbag, this is the one other topic that I wanted to touch on. And again, for those of you listening, if you want to drop more questions in the comments, you're welcome to. So really quickly on the Steve Kerr thing, and this has been talked to death by a lot of people, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But the important detail that I want to talk about is just the role of the NBA media and how the players shit on them all the time, for lack of a better term. So for starters, you know, have you ever heard like when they talk about the WNBA, they're like, we need more coverage for the WNBA. You know, we need we need more coverage for for, you know, women's basketball in the in college or whatever it is. Well, the, the the reason why they're asking for more coverage is because that is what leads to exposure for the league. That's how you generate new fans. That's how you gain the over. That's how you, you know, raise the overall profile of the league. The reality is, is the NBA is what it is right now. In, in part because of the players and how talented they are, but also in part of the storytellers, the people who are involved with covering the league, making it widely accessible to everybody around the globe, and keeping the conversation about the league moving. Especially now, like you look at TV ratings, the league isn't doing great on TV. But they're doing great in almost every other area, social media engagement and just the amount of people around the world that are talking about the NBA. So the, the point is, is that the, the, the NBA leads, uh, serves, uh, the NBA media serves a clear purpose that puts money in the players' pockets. That's the harsh reality. And what sucks is, you know, I believe the media needs to be held accountable like any other organization. If a, a member of the media does come out and openly lie or openly twist words or very clearly take something out of context, that person should get dragged. That person should be reminded that they have a job and that they're not doing their job. And if they, it becomes a repeat offense type of thing, that person should be disciplined. I agree with that. However, the way that these players and coaches treat every member of the media is as if they're doing that all the time, which is not the case. You know, a classic example is like Tim McMahon comes out yesterday in a podcast and says like, uh, I'm trying to remember which player it was, but it was uh, uh, some player has made it known in the organization that he that he wants uh, that he wants to be traded. And. And then that player gets on Twitter and is like, I've never said anything like this in my life. And it's like, Tim McMahon's doing his job. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't have any purpose to throwing you under the bus or making up a trade rumor from you. He's doing his job. And you're better off not responding. Or if it's very clearly not true, providing some sort of evidence or something along those lines. But this idea that the, the first thing that every player or coach jumps to do is just take a giant shit on whoever it is that that said this important thing that's part of their job that that gets annoying to me because it shows a lack of respect for what those guys are doing at least the ones that are doing it right there was another one it was like kevin o'connor is literally one of the more respected you know young media professionals in the business right now and is very well connected goes i have intel that you know uh that tristan thompson isn't super well liked in the locker room and chris vernon his co-host says the exact same thing and he's the one who actually brought it up all, and all he's saying is like, this is what I'm hearing. And then here come all these guys from the Celtics like saying that it's total BS. And it's like, actually, we're watching you guys massively underachieve. These guys who have their connections are asking people in the organization, what's wrong? They're getting intel. They're just sending the intel out to us, the fans, so that we can digest that and make our own opinion. And, and, it, and it, way too often, you just see this absolute ridiculous uh, uh, pushback from these guys. And, and this Kerr thing was a great example. The, uh, the, the Drew Schiller guy literally uh, tweeted out exactly what Steve Kerr said in his podcast. 
even though he didn't specifically mention Kevin Durant, if you listen to the podcast, it's heavily, 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 heavily implied that he was very clearly referencing the Kevin Durant free agency situation and the impact that it had on the team. So does, does Kerr think we're stupid? Does he sit up there in the, in the press conference and just insult all of our intelligence by pretending that's not what he was saying? Because that's very clearly what he was saying. So all I'm saying is, like, I, I to, to wrap this up really quick, it's just frustrating to me that all of this, all of the people out there that are doing their jobs, and I'm not one of those guys. I'm just, I'm just talking. I'm literally just spewing BS out into the world. These people are actually doing a very, very clear, paid-for job, which is networking with these people that work inside these organizations and, and putting out information that they find, that they've vetted. Almost every one of these guys, when they say something, it's because they've heard it from multiple people. And, and I, I'm sick of those people, when they do their job right, uh, catching the short end of the stick. And it's just part of this overall media culture that I've complained about on here several times because I'm kind of a pessimist about it. Um, but I just, I feel bad. I feel bad for, for, those, uh, for those people. Anyway, let's get to the, uh, uh, let's get to the mailbag. The... The first question that I wanted to get to uh, uh, was the question of whether or not you trade Trez if Drummond is for sure coming. So if I have intel that Drummond is coming, and that's so much more complicated than, you know, uh, uh, is Drummond going to sign with the Lakers if he gets bought out? Because as we all know, there are so many you know, uh, owners out there, rich guys out there who are super finicky. Like the dude who owns the Atlanta Hawks could change his mind tomorrow because he sees a a first take episode that comes across his feed and it's Skip Bayless, you know, bitching about Andre Drummond signing with the Lakers and the Atlanta Hawks guy could be screw that. uh, Or the, uh, not the Atlanta Hawks guy, the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, could uh, their, their front office could be like, screw that. We're not buying him out. You know, that, that's how it goes. That's how these, that's how finicky these dudes are. And they're all super, you know, uptight and they feel like the world's against them. That's just kind of the way these guys are. And so from that standpoint, like there's no point in playing fantasy basketball, but if you have for sure Intel that Andre Drummond is coming, I would feel a lot more comfortable trading Montrez without Andre Drummond. You desperately need Montrez. So that's the the fine line that you have to to walk there. Uh, Now, from that standpoint, like I was talking about earlier, I don't really believe in completely mixing up the the, the roster and the construct of the team, you know, over a a rough stretch that you're having with really bad players on the floor. So I wouldn't trade Montrez unless it was for a clear need when the team is at full strength. And if you've heard me many times on this podcast, I've talked about how I, I don't really necessarily see that need anywhere except for with shooting uh, in the backcourt and guys that can defend. So guys that would slot into the role of being in this elite defense as a guard, but at the same time can knock down shots better than some of the guys that we've had. And so the name that comes to mind for me is like a Norman Powell. If you feel like you can get a Norman Powell, I'd trade Montrez Harrell. If you feel like you can get a Victor Oladipo, I'd trade Montrez Harrell because that solves a need. And if you know that Drummond's coming, yeah, guess what? You got Marcus Saul. And you got Andre Drummond, and you got Anthony Davis, and you got LeBron James, and you got Markeith Morris. That's five guys that can play front court minutes for you. And Markeith Morris has turned into like an awesome post defender for the Lakers, something that is a, a kind of a weapon for them in that regard. So I, I don't really, I don't really see the point in trading Montrez unless you know Drummond, Drummond is coming, and unless you can get a player that upgrades the roster specifically when they're back at full strength. I wouldn't do it for anything other than that. Name a Lakers player, not LeBron AD, 
that you really want to keep at the deadline. So for me, this answer is easy. It's Contavious Caldwell Pope, the one all of you guys are so frustrated with, the one that you know a lot of my friends that are uh, that are on Lakers Twitter have complained about a lot in recent weeks. And you know, there's a lot of reasons why people complain. It's the same thing that uh, that, that uh, it reminds me of the complaining around J.R. Smith. Uh, uh, after the 2016 NBA championship when he signed that big fat contract with the, with the Cavaliers. And it's the same thing you're starting to hear with Dennis Schroeder with people complaining like, are we sure we want to pay this guy 20 plus million? The Cavs did not want to pay J.R. Smith 18 million a year coming after the 2016 finals. No one in the league wanted to pay J.R. Smith 18 million a year. However, that's the price you pay to keep really good talent on board long term when you're trying to compete for a title. It's literally just part of the business. No, Dennis Schroeder is not a $20, $25 million a year guard. But some crappy team out there will pay him, so he will leave. So the only way to keep him on and to keep and maintain the talent level on the roster is to pay Dennis Schroeder. And, and the same thing goes for KCP. What was way worse than paying KCP the $13 million a year or whatever he's getting is to let him go for nothing. And then, you know, Dennis Schroeder goes down with COVID and now there's like no depth in the, in, in the backcourt and you could have major problems. It's, it's, it's overpaying to keep the, the, to keep the team together. That's literally just part of the business. And there was so much criticism thrown at LeBron when Tristan Thompson and Jared Smith got paid. It's all oh, LeBron's getting his guys paid. LeBron's getting his guys paid. And it's like, what were the Cavs supposed to do? Let Tristan Thompson and Jared Smith go and just be a really bad team. This is the, t- this, every team faces this problem. The, it, like, I have to overpay this guy or some bad team's going to pay him and then our team gets worse. It's, it's just the, the conundrum of, of the business. Now, the good thing is, and I talked about this a lot with Raj on Friday, the way the league has changed is these role players are getting two-year deals now. So it's a lot less of a problem now than it used to be when a J.R. Smith was getting a four-year deal or a three-year deal. But, uh, but nowadays, you, you, you sign your really, really good role player for two years, $15 million, or two years, $20 million. And so that, that's just kind of the uh, uh, $15 million a year, I mean. Um, kind of like the Danny Green contract is a good example of what I'm talking about. But uh, I just, I, I, like, KCP makes too much money, uh, but you had to pay him in order to bring him back. And the reality is, is he was never meant to be this guy who would be a lead guard. When was the last time we saw KCP extensively as a lead guard? the 2018-2019 Lakers, and he was bad. He was the, the, the joke of the team. There's that famous clip of him bricking that jump shot at the end of the game and then Kobe walking his family out. You know, there's, the, there's all sorts of famous clips of him taking, you know, really bad shots out of the flow of the offense because he's, that's not his strength. His strength is not being a lead guard. What he was really, really good at last year, and the reason why I thought he was the third best Laker, was attacking closeouts in really simple offensive situations where he's just knocking down open threes and beating guys off the dribble when they close out. And then on the other end, just chasing guys off the three-point line, flying around in rotations and doing his best as a point of attack defender. That's what KCP does really well. Yes, you're overpaying him, but he's really, really good in that role. He's going to look really bad in the playoffs if LeBron and AD are out, but that's just the natural order of things. It's not, it's not his strength. LeBron and AD are probably going to be back. The, the Lakers in their playoff run are going to look a lot more like the bubble Lakers, a better version of the bubble Lakers than they do now. And at that point, guys like KCP are going to look a lot better. Guys like Alex Crusoe are going to look a lot better. All the guys who've been playing out of their normal, you know, uh, role are going to look a lot better. Wes Matthews is another guy like Wes Matthews is going to look like an old washed up guard for the next couple of weeks. Just get ready for it. That's, 
exactly what I'm expecting. A lot of losses, KCP to look bad, Wes Matthews to look bad, Alex Crusoe's defense to slip, THT to make a boatload of mistakes, Dennis Schroeder to look like he's not worth $20-25 That That's going to be how it looks for the next month. And then every last one of those guys is going to go back to looking like what they looked like earlier this year, you know, perfect fits in their role once the food, once the food chain is reorganized and LeBron and AD come back. That's what I'm expecting. Uh, however, uh, I would trade KCP for a, another better guard. So if you can get a Norman Powell, if you can get a, a Victor Oladipo, I would trade KCP. Uh, the, ne- the next question, how would I use Andre Drummond if the Lakers do get him? To me, I'd use him exactly like Dwight Howard. Um, now, I wanted Dwight Howard to start most of last year, and he did, I think, in a handful of playoff games, if I remember correctly, um, uh, after the Lakers finally got wise on the JaVale McGee stuff. Uh, but you use him exactly like Dwight Howard. You, you tell him in a sit-down conference right at the beginning. You don't do it as dramatically as they did with Dwight. With Dwight, they threatened him with basically a, a, what, a non-guaranteed contract and leaked all this stuff to the media that he was on a short leash and basically just a bunch of stuff about, uh, you know, like, you better be careful, Dwight. Like, that was the way they treated Dwight. They're not going to do that with Andre Drummond. But, you know, LeBron is going to look him in the face. Anthony Davis is going to look him in the face. Rob Plink is going to look him in the face and be like, look, man, you want to win a championship? You know, we think you're better than Dwight Howard. We think you're, you know, probably the best uh, 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 guy that we could possibly find for this specific role, this rim-running five who's going to do absolutely nothing with the ball in his hands offensively, but just get a boatload of rebounds. We're going to funnel all these guys to you on defense. You're going to get a, a, load of, a load of blocks, and you're going to get a ton of a lob actions above the rim you know, from Dennis Schroeder and LeBron. That's the way uh, that you, you see that position working out. Just don't overcomplicate it. Let him do what he does best. There's, I think the Lakers let Damian Jones go because they know they have good intel that Andre Drummond's coming. That was the first good sign. Uh, was them letting Damian Jones go. How do you avoid scoring droughts without LeBron and AD? Is it scheme related or is it just a matter of them doing better? That's the next question. So Frank Vogel is not an amazing offensive coach. That's true. Uh, uh, Even when they do run a lot of actions, it's kind of like spamming, specific, you know, actions that, uh, uh, that are really, really simple. So for instance, like last year, a lot, they used to spam like LeBron and AD at the elbow, Avery Bradley in the corner, you know, dribble handoff to Avery Bradley, set a couple of screens and try to get Avery Bradley with the head of steam going to the rim or pulling up from like 10, 15 feet, you know, or they'll, they'll spam, uh, uh, specific actions with like Dennis Schroeder and AD down in the corner with LeBron passing the ball up top. They spam that kind of stuff every once in a while, but it's not a super, super sophisticated offense. That's never been Frank Vogel's strength. Uh, now, but if you ask me, my philosophy is in the NBA, super sophisticated offense is kind of overrated, uh, just in the sense that nine times out of 10, you play a really, really good team in the playoffs and none of that stuff works and the game basically becomes about matchups. The Laker offense was is built to succeed in the playoffs because they have the matchups. That's the way that Laker offense is built. But yeah, it's, I think it's fair criticism to say if you were ranking NBA coaches in terms of just their offensive acumen, Frank Vogel's not going to be close to the top. That's true. However, how do you avoid scoring droughts without LeBron AD? You can't. 
I could take Greg Popovich right now and put, you know, Steve Kerr on his staff and all the great offensive coaches in the league, Mike D'Antoni, get him in there, get all these guys in there. And I could give them a full training camp with that group of guys and they're still going to lose. They just, they don't have enough offensive talent to consistently generate offense with this group. So to me, you got to acknowledge what the way the team is put together. You know, Frank Vogel is a defensive minded coach. This team is the best defense in the league, although that will probably slip with LeBron and AD out. This is the best defense in the league. Their only hope at winning any games is to catch a bad team or a team that's being super lazy and lock them up defensively and just hang in there and hope that Dennis Schroeder can generate enough offense down the uh, down at the end of the game. Uh, but the truth is, is like let's say you lose by 17 to the Atlanta Hawks, uh, a really good offensive coach might bring it from 17 to 12 or something like that. But it's just it's the, whatever you're watching right now. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. That's never been Frank's strength as a coach. It would not be enough to make it work with this group anyway. I, I there's just no way to avoid it, and I I don't think it's scheme related. I think it's talent related. This was a fun one that I got. Why do Laker fans shit on Rudy Gobert so much? So first of all, uh, uh, it, there's no point in denying the fact that there's a massive like chasm that exists between like big market fans and little market fans. Just part of uh, small market fans. It's just part of the the deal. The thing with Rudy Gobert that drives everyone nuts is, as is always the case, there are people in his corner that. Uh, 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 resort to hyperbole when they're describing him. Who was that guy, uh, Chris Mannix, who just said that he should be in the MVP conversation? You know, Rudy Gobert is what Rudy Gobert is. He is the very, 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 very best possible version of that Andre Drummond role or that that role that the Lakers need so bad, the role that the Rockets used for so long in Houston. Just a, a rim-protecting big who can do pretty well in switches and then on offense is just a screen and run to the rim type of guy. But he doesn't do anything else. He doesn't do anything else. And so what drives everyone else nuts, and this is not just a Laker fan thing. This is a everybody thing. What drives everyone else nuts is he keeps getting compared to guys like Anthony Davis, gets compared to guys that are MVP candidates, and put in the same tier as them when he has absolutely no business being in that tier. Guess what? If I asked Anthony Davis to take... Uh, Rudy Gobert's spot right now on the Jazz into never, ever, 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 ever take an isolation possession into strictly just set screens and 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 roll to the rim and do all of that stuff. Anthony Davis would be better than Rudy Gobert at that right now. Okay, he would. He just doesn't have the energy for all that stuff because he is a very, very, very good offensive player that is leaned on for a lot of offensive responsibilities that Rudy Gobert isn't asked to do. And then you couple that with guys saying that, like John Oliver and Chris Mannix, that's saying he should be in the MVP conversation, like the uh, 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 the the screen assist tribe that are constantly trying to come up with fake ways to add a ton of value to what he does on a basketball court. It's annoying. It's annoying. I like Rudy Gobert. I think he's a really good player. But and half of it's fun. Like half of that that's people taking stuff on Twitter too personally. We're all just having fun. We're talking trash. It's like, you know, uh, it's like my guy Damon. He's always making jokes about 
uh, about the Celtics. He doesn't actually hate the Celtics. He doesn't actually dislike any of those guys. We're just having fun and stop taking it personally. None of this is important. None of this literally matters at all in the grand scheme of things. So there's just there's no point in, in, in taking it like that. But yeah, of course, we, we make fun of Rudy Gobert because he's overrated by his crazy fans and they make up fake reasons why he's good at basketball. It's really that simple. Do I think the Lakers can squeeze one more title with LeBron and AD? I think they can squeeze a few more. Um, The reason why is simple. They're a really, really good defensive team. Anthony Davis showed clear signs before the bubble last year, in the bubble last year, at the beginning of the season while he was healthy, of making significant improvements as a jump shooter, especially off the dribble. And... He started to show some improvement uh, after the very beginning of this year as a passer. Now, a lot of that stuff is natural. He's never going to become a LeBron or a Jokic. That's, that's not in his DNA. Um, but him becoming like kind of like what Kawhi's, uh, the transformation Kawhi's gone through over the last few years, making the leap from a horrible pow- a passer to a passer that can make basic reads every time they're open, that is the difference between him being the seventh or eighth best player in the world and being the second or third best player in the world. Anthony Davis, with that crazy mid-range scoring game that he has shown extensively when he's healthy, and his ability to become just an average playmaker, that's, that makes him the second or third best player in the league. And he'll be the second, best, second or third best player in the league for, what, the next four or five years? So why in the world can't the Lakers win a couple more titles? Especially since, you know... If as all you need is Anthony Davis's improvement to be linear with LeBron's decline, which it should be, provided neither of them suffer a major injury. And then couple that with Frank Vogel in a really, really good defense. There's no reason in the world why the Lakers should not be able to squeeze out another title or two, especially when you factor in L.A. as a buyout destination, everything else along those lines. You know, one of the questions uh, that I got earlier was like, is this... Uh, uh, it was actually in my list. Is this a lost year for the LeBron and AD era? Not at all. It's a more difficult year. You know, you always want things to go a certain way during the regular season smoothly. Like last year was a smooth year for the Lakers. They started 28 and three. It was a smooth year. Um, but you know, like it, 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 sometimes it's not a smooth year. Look at 2016 with the Cavs. They fired their coach halfway through the season you know, there was uh, uh, LeBron was like open. If you read that book about that year, LeBron was doing all sorts of passive aggressive stuff with management to try to signal to them that he wanted a coaching change. You know, uh, uh, Kyrie Irving missed the first chunk of the year because his kneecap was still healing from what happened in the 2015 finals. But they hoisted the trophy at the end. You know, it makes it, it sometimes it's a little bit tougher path, but that doesn't mean that you're thrown out. It'll become a lost year for LeBron and AD if one of them gets hurt in the, or if AD is clearly 60% of himself in the playoffs. But even if AD is 60% of himself in the playoffs, that's a really good team that has a good chance to win the title. You know, it'd be harder, but they have a good chance. So it's not a lost year. And I absolutely think they can get a couple more titles. You just need LeBron to decline at a slower rate than AD's improving. You need to keep up the defensive intensity. That can be done by... Frank Vogel and his staff, and that could be done from the leaders, and that could be done by cycling out some of these role players to keep getting, keeping to get, uh, keeping fresh blood coming in. You know, I, I think we all expected the Laker defense to take a step back this year, and it didn't. 
And in large part, in my opinion, that was because of Dennis Schroeder. Uh, Dennis Schroeder came in, fresh blood, uh, wants to win a title, and super, super competitive dude. And the, the easiest way to get your defense going is to have a really good guy at the point of attack. It's what Avery Bradley did for the Lakers last year. If you get someone who's getting into guys up and down the floor, you know, it just it fires everyone up and gets everyone to play defense better. Um, but that's what you do. You just keep bringing in fresh blood uh, and, and you keep maintaining the identity of the team. There's no reason in the world why they can't get a couple more. Uh, last one, and then I'll get to the comments that are in this thread here on the live stream. Sleeper buyout candidates for the Lakers, not counting Andre Drummond. So uh, the first one that came to my mind is J.J. Redick. I say he's a massive sleeper candidate because he's a long shot because if you've listened to any of his podcasts or anything that he has said, he very, very much wants to stay close to Brooklyn. Um, But let's say Brooklyn can't sign him and Philly can't sign him. And let's say he wants to contend and he doesn't want to go to the Knicks. Like Los Angeles is an example of a uh, of if you're going to be far away from home, you can't pick a better place to go. He loves wine, he loves eating out, he loves all of those things. If you listen to his podcast, he talks about a lot of this stuff. There's no better place for him than L.A. in that regard. And in my opinion, the Lakers, if there's one thing that they can do to upgrade, it's shooting. And you know, JJ Redick is a bad matchup card defensively. He's a guy that you can take advantage of in individual matchups. But the Lakers are so good at doubling and recovering. And JJ is an effort guy who's got a really, really good motor, who's uh, very quick. He's you know, you you think of him in the sense that he's running around off the ball in catch and shoot situations. He's the kind of guy that if you ask him to sprint around in rotations and just kind of be in the right spot defensively, he can make plays uh, in that regard. And as is always the case, like we saw with the Warriors in 2015 and 2016, when you have a guard who's a weak spot defensively, as long as you surround him with good defensive talent, it can it can still work out. And so um, uh, JJ, if J.J. Redick is playing minutes with Alex Caruso and you know LeBron James and Anthony Davis and, and Kyle Kuzma and, and good defensive players from the Lakers – I still think that he's capable of uh, uh, of being, you know, an effective defensive player. And then talk about a spacing weapon. Talk about a dribble handoff thing that he can do. He, he runs all sorts of dribble handoff stuff with Zion now when he is playing, although he hasn't been playing lately. Um, but I really like uh, uh, JJ Redick. The other uh, thing I'd said is keep an eye on guys who don't get traded, who are on bad teams or are have communicated that they want to get traded. The two names I wrote down are George Hill. And LaMarcus Aldridge. If no one makes a trade for George Hill, there's a good chance that Oklahoma City buys him out. Um, just because of the, the their history in the last few years of taking care of the veteran players on their roster uh, that, get, that they pick up in these trades. Uh, um, think like Paul George, think like Chris Paul. These guys that come in there, they, 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 they move them where they want to go. Um, the other name I put down was LaMarcus Aldridge. He very clearly is uh, uh, on the trade block, and he is basically away from the team. So if, for whatever reason, trades don't materialize for LaMarcus Aldridge, there is an opportunity there for the Lakers to potentially pick him up as a buyout candidate. I actually like LaMarcus Aldridge better than Andre Drummond. A lot of people would disagree with me in that regard. He's not the same defensive player, but spacing is such a premium for these Lakers. And in spot minutes, where like because you got to think, in the playoffs, it's going to be a lot of LeBron and AD in the front court, a lot of them at at the four and five. And so, having a guy like Lamarcus Aldridge for ten, fifteen minutes a night to just 
knock down open threes is, is a, a serious weapon. And if for whatever reason it doesn't work out with Andre Drummond, that, that's a name that, that I would keep an eye on. All right, let's see. I'm going to go through the questions here in the live stream. If you guys have any more, drop them in the feed. Thoughts on Vogel's approach on offense with AD and Bra now? Way too many scoring droughts this season. I think I might have directly already answered this question. So if you go early in the stream, quick recap is just Vogel's not a great offensive coach, but a great offensive coach isn't going to fix this problem. If they ran all the best stuff in the world, they might have stretches earlier in the game where it works out. But as soon as the game got serious, any of these good defenses they're playing are just going to shut all that stuff off. How do you feel about Drummond against a team like the Nets? He'd make a difference. So um, the thing with, I've talked about this at length. The way you beat the Nets is really simple. You bank on the fact that over a seven-game series, kind of like what the Cavs did to the 2016 Warriors, you bank on the fact that over a seven-game series, you will wear out their offensive players and they'll start missing shots. And they're not going to wear each other out on offense because there's three of them and they can take turns. It's not going to be like LeBron shooting, you know, 27 shots a game and running all of the actions and getting tired by the end or the same thing James Harden in Houston. It's going to be James and Kyrie, James and KD, KD and Kyrie, everything's staggered. They're taking turns. They're going to run actions for Joe Harris flying off the screens every once in a while. There's just not going to be a whole lot of, of fatigue from them offensively. So you have to put the fatigue on them defensively. And the way you do that is being physically aggressive. Like, I would never pick a team like the Clippers against the Nets. I think the, I think the Nets would destroy the Clippers. And the reason why is, is they're, they're a finesse team. They, uh, they have the ability to put some pressure on you defensively with their length. But on offense, they settle for a boatload of jump shots and they don't put any pressure on the rim. A group like LeBron, AD, and Andre Drummond would put a ridiculous amount of pressure on the rim physically through offensive rebounding, through bully ball from LeBron, you know, through Anthony Davis and his post-up game, through Dennis Schroeder attacking from the perimeter, it's going to be living at the rim. You know, Dennis Schroeder driving to the rim and a shot blocker comes over. Here comes Andre Drummond, LeBron, and Anthony Davis to come get the offensive rebound. You physically wear them down on defense when, they're, uh, when they are defending. And then that will translate, if you're an elite defensive team, over the course of seven games to wearing them out. And then the other big thing there is... Uh, having a LeBron and AD to put on a uh, uh, Kevin Durant, James Harden type of pairing so that you can blow up any of their screen and roll actions just by switching everything. Uh, uh, but switching is another really, really good way against Brooklyn to force them to get stagnant. Uh, I wouldn't do it at length, but I do it at specific stretches of the game. Um, just by doing that, it forces them to get out of a flow and forces them to do kind of like what KD did to the Warriors at times. You know, KD was so, so good on the Warriors, but the one downside with him is a lot of times it got them out of their other offensive actions because he would break off and isolate. But Andre Drummond is another physically oppressive, you know, big man that's going to get a boatload of offensive rebounds that's going to cause problems for Brooklyn in a playoff series in the long term in terms of the physicality. So I, I definitely view him as a weapon there. What are your thoughts on an Oladipo trade? So I talked about this with, uh, uh, I think it was 
Danny Parks, a friend of mine on Twitter yesterday. I talked to him about it, and uh, the idea basically was he thinks Oladipo is washed. I disagree uh, in, par- in large part because, you know, anytime anybody's coming back from an injury, there's a little bit of an adjustment period. I remember I broke my foot before my second year of college, uh, playing in college, and I was really, really bad to start the year. I remember uh, uh, I had some bad practices, and the coaching staff pulled me aside and was like, you know, at the time, on the there were 15 guys on the roster, and I was one of only two that was on a full-ride scholarship. And he was like, hey, you're one of my full-ride scholarship guys. You have to be better. And, you know, I would just be telling him, I was like, I'm, I just, I'm, I'm coming back from a foot injury. Like, this just takes time. And um, I didn't really get it going until the second half of the season, but I did in the second half of the season, and I made an all-conference team. So the point is, it's like you, there's an adjustment period when you're coming back from these injuries. You kind of have to bear with these guys. And from what I understand, Oladipo in his last, like, 10, 15 games has actually been really, really good, a pretty efficient, you know, 24, 25-point-a-game guy. But the bottom line is, is like in the simplified role that he'd have with the Lakers as basically a third ball handler instead of a primary or secondary ball handler, uh, playing alongside LeBron and AD, getting lots of closeout opportunities. He's still a really good athlete. So giving him an opportunity to use that as a defensive player, there's no reason in the world why Oladipo wouldn't be a massive upgrade uh, over a guy like a KCP. And so I think the way the trade would work is you'd have to send like KCP and Trez out or something like that. I can't remember. I ran it through the trade machine yesterday, but that's an example of a player that I would definitely take. Um, but my guess is that he's going to end up going somewhere else. It's an overly optimistic trade for the Lakers, in my opinion. Do you believe at the sixth seed they can still win the championship? Absolutely. I talked about that earlier. Uh, uh, if you look at it, the way that it works, if they were a top seed, they'd have to beat... If they were a top two seed, they'd have to probably beat Luka in the first round or Steph Curry in the first round. And then they'd have to beat, you know, the Clippers in the second round. And then they'd have to beat like the Utah Jazz in the third round. Now, instead, it's going to be like the Jazz or Suns first and then, you know, the Clippers second. And then, you know, whoever comes out at the end, maybe maybe you get a Luka, maybe you get a, a the other team of the Utah Phoenix teams that you didn't play. It's going to be more difficult, especially since they're going to be going on the road. Um, but it's, it's more or less difficult no matter how you look at it. There's no easy pathway through the playoffs. I mean, you know, there, there, there's all these jokes about like, oh, the Utah Jazz might get lucky and the, the Clippers and Lakers might knock one, you know, they might play each other early and they'll knock one of the others out. And it's like, okay, so your reward for getting the one seed and the Clippers and Lakers beating each other is the better of those two teams you still have to beat. Congratulations. So, the Lakers beat the hell out of the Clippers in the second round. And 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 congrats, you don't have to play the Clippers, but here come the Lakers. Like it just there's no point in trying to look at any of this with road, with rose-colored glasses. All of the teams are really really good and there is no easy pathway through the playoffs. How much do you think THT costs in the offseason? Honestly, I expect him to get something like Kyle Kuzma's contract, uh uh, you know, something in like the 3 years, 50 million type of deal. Uh, uh, however, uh, I wouldn't be surprised with, uh, with a limited free agent market that's out there that if some, you know, crazy crappy team threw a, cause he's a restricted free agent. So whatever deal that, uh, uh, someone else offers, they'll have a chance to match, but you know, it could be something crazy that the Lakers have no interest in mat- matching. And as you know, Brian Windhorst has said in, in several of his podcasts lately, you know, the Lakers don't have the, the Lakers are not a rich ownership group. 
you know, they, they may not be the kind of team that wants to sign up for some crazy luxury tax bill. It doesn't really uh, uh, work for them financially. Um, that'll be the interesting thing with Dennis Schroeder. And this is the last thing I'll say that we are out of questions. So this is the last thing I'll say, and then we'll call it a day. But, you know, with, with, with Dennis Schroeder, he's facing a lot of criticism recently. I think he was like two for nine or something last uh, two nights ago and wasn't good. And uh, a lot of people criticizing him like, oh, is this a $20 million a year guard? No, of course not. Of course he's not worth $20, 25000000 million for what he does on this team. That goes without saying. Uh, but the, the point is, is, as we've seen dozens and dozens of times in recent years, is your market isn't what the good teams are willing to pay you. The market is what the bad teams are willing to pay you. You know, Bogdan Bogdanovich's contract was what the Atlanta Hawks were willing to pay him. It wasn't, you know, what a, a really, really good team like the Bucks were willing to pay him. It's, it's, it's always compli- a lot more complicated uh, uh, when it comes to these free agent uh, 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 extensions and things along those lines than just what a good team would be willing to pay him. And that's what makes it suck. And I made that point earlier about J.R. Smith, you know, after the 2016 title or Tristan Thompson or, or KCP this year. You, you get stuck overpaying for guys because the market value isn't what a championship team is willing to pay for a guy. It's, it's what a bad team is willing to pay for a guy. And, and that throws the math off entirely. And, and it, it puts you in, in a tough position. So my guess is that the Lakers are going to have to overpay Dennis. It's going to be that, you know, four years, 80-something million, whatever the max is that they're allowed to pay him. And it's going to feel like an overpay in the moment. It's absolutely going to be an overpay. But... Dennis Schroeder's market value isn't what, you know, the Brooklyn Nets would pay him. It's what the Sacramento Kings would pay him. It's what, it's what the bad teams with cap space would pay him. That's just the, the harsh reality of the way this stuff works. So, you know, uh, no point in overanalyzing what, Vic, uh, what uh, 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 Dennis Schroeder does with this bad team. It's going to get even uglier here in the next few weeks. I expect them to lose almost all of their games uh, with the exception of maybe two or three. And, uh, and a lot of people are going to be talking about his contract. A lot of people are going to be talking about whether or not he's worth it. And I think they're, I think they're overthinking things. Alrighty. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for dropping all the questions for hanging out and listening. Like I said, tomorrow, immediately after the trade deadline, I'll be doing a pod with Tommy and then uh, Friday morning with Raj at uh, eight o'clock Pacific standard time. Uh, thank you guys so much as always uh, for your support. And I will see you guys tomorrow.